0: It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. And it if sure you're, is. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I know. And and if you're looking for something, the perfect gift for a friend or for yourself, I recommend, maybe you can recommend it because it sounds really self-serving and narcissistic when I recommend it. Um, the wonderful oral history of Star Trek, uh, the 50-year well, mission. Would that be the 50-year mission? Uh, volume one be- and two? Volume one. Now, I want to make an important distinction. Volume one available now in paperback. Volume two only in hardcover still. Right. So, but you can get the audio version. Get the digital version. You can get them all because maybe you all, want them get all. Get all of them. You know, because that would be ideal. I, I would prefer you get them all. Because <laughs> gotcha. I had my my druthers, as they say. And then, of course, also our other books, which are worth checking out. Nobody does it better. Also available in hardcover and now in paperback. That's about uh, James normal, Bond, isn't it? How'd you guess? I just about James Bond because nobody Indeed. does
1: it better. That's why
0: it's a great book about James Bond. So as you get ready for the inevitable release of uh, no time to die sometime in the next decade, there's no time um, to release. <laughs> you want to pick up no time to die again, also available on digital audio and in hardcover and paperback from, uh, from tour forge. And uh, if you want to do a deeper dive, check out the, uh, so, so say we all, our oral history of both Battlestar Galactica series, which is only available in hardcover. And I don't believe there's an audiobook, I just think it's digital. I'm not sure why they didn't do an audiobook book. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe one we day can I'll, do something about that. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll just record <laughs> our own and we'll, we'll show them. So uh, anyway, uh, if you're thinking about the holidays and wondering what to get, please uh, check out uh, my books uh, with Ed Gross, The 50-Year Mission, Volume 1 and 2, so Say We All, an oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And most recently, Nobody Does It Better, a complete oral history of the James Bond films and Spy Mania. Ed Gross will thank you. Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app?
1: I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But
0: Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app? It's better it's on so video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy.
1: Download got... the app
0: and you watch us.
1: That's all there is to it. It's so and,
0: simple. And a lot of other cool stuff too. You go to the app store. It says electric. Now you download it. And then it, and in press, the United States, press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose, you can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait, download the electric now app and start enjoying us anytime.
1: For white Christmas, yeah,
0: just like the ones I I, I, I used to know.
1: Oh yeah, with the, the treetops glisten,
2: and and, uh, children.
0: and children oh. listen to hear, to hear sleigh,
2: bells sleigh bells in the snow.
0: This is Mark A. Altman
1: and this is Darren Dockerman and we are the
0: inglorious Trexperts and welcome back to part two of our holiday countdown of the greatest sci-fi episodes of all time. I we're like going to start that. back up at 75, episode 75, part one. We did episode 101 to 74. And w- I'm thrilled to once again, welcome back, our two very special guests, Mr. Ashley Miller and Robert Meyer Burnett. Welcome back, guys. Great hey honor you. to be here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Any surprises there on the list for you yet?
2: So many. So, <laughs> so many. Everything but is a surprise.
0: I know. You think we're going to see some Star Trek? Never. Well, let's find <laughs> out. Let's find out. Number 75.
2: Well, look what we
1: have here. It's from Star Trek, the next generation relics. Yes, we do have Star Trek here. And in fact, it's a mashup of old and new or relatively new where we have the return of captain Montgomery Scott. He was stuck in a transporter all this time. And, uh, through his, uh, through his smarts and ingenuity, he put the Enterprise into a static loop and kept his pattern relatively free of damage, uh, though he hurt his arm. No, that was before he's missing a finger. Yeah. Uh, but uh, look, it's a, it's a fun little look back at uh, Scotty and the original series crew and how he reacts with uh, particularly Geordi on the ship. Um, he's a commargeant. And he doesn't really like the time that he's in and he thinks everybody's stupid. And uh, you know, he just doesn't want to be there, but he helps them solve a big mystery about a big Dyson sphere, a sphere that collects all the energy from a star and uh, people live on the inside. And it would have been a great sci-fi thing, but we can only stay there for like 10 minutes. So that's what happens. Um, but it's uh it's a fun episode and uh, they, uh, get Scotty to be on the bridge of the Enterprise on the holodeck. And uh, he and uh, Captain Picard uh, have some Aldebaran whiskey together. And uh, it's a nice moment. And a little little bit of tears for Scotty as he goes off uh, on his own in his own little shuttlecraft at the end. But it's a fun so
0: episode nursing to watch. Home. Uh, so I think it's hard to know realize now how powerful that episode was then. Because when they step onto the holodeck and he says no bloody A B C D or E and you see the original Enterprise, which is the first time it was recreated for any of the shows, yeah, it really gets you. It had a lot of impact because yeah. we hadn't seen that bridge, uh, really since 1969. That's correct. And it, 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 you know, and 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 doing is quite good in the episode. Yeah. Uh, other than when he's reciting techno babble off uh, script pages, right. um. And, and and that's a very effective uh, scene, a scene, although uh, Lavar in a, a thankless uh, position, because, of course, he's the guy who has to be mean to Scotty. Right. And uh, he, he doesn't. Co- it, it's not a good look for him.
1: No, he comes off as uh, kind of a, an a-hole, to be he honest. He does. Uh, yeah, he's a prick.
0: Jordy like, the uh, prick. Ron Moore wrote it. Wrote it with a lot of heart. Clearly a huge fan of the original and his love shows on every page of the script. It doesn't show up on a lot of lists, you know, best Star Trek lists, but I I think um, clearly from its position as number 75 on our list, uh, we hold it in fairly high regard. From all of us relics to you. Okay. That brings us to number 74. 74. Back to Mr. Altman. From the TV show Futurama. David X. Cohn marks the spot where no fan has gone before. And this of course is the great Star Trek love letter, uh, about a, uh, crazed fan, which is a, a cloud, uh, uh, uh that, that, uh, gets the original, r- r- brings back t- from the dead the original cast of Star Trek, except for Scotty, um, <laughs> to, uh, and they bring instead the, the long lost Welshie, uh, because uh, Doohan famously said uh, when asked, uh, would Shatner be uh, doing it as well? And they said, yes. And, and he said, no way. No way. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so uh, that's why Doohan does not lend his dulcet tones. Jimmy Voice, isn't doing it. He, he, ain't, <laughs> doing it? It. Uh, he ain't doing it. Doing, he ain't doing it. But Shatner and Nimoy uh, uh, uh Nichelle, Uh, All the other cast members, with the exception of the late DeForest Kelly, are represented. It is a wonderful script from David A. Goodman. Uh, It's charming. It's funny. It pays a great homage to um, uh, a a fundamental understanding of what makes original Star Trek tick. A lot of big laughs, and uh, it's just a wonderful episode. Even if you're not a fan of Futurama, you're sure to get a kick out of this great uh, love letter to the original Star Trek.
1: Now, under Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett for number 73.
2: Well, okay. One of the great unsung science fiction shows created by Terry Nation in the wake of Doctor Who that not a lot of people talk about is the four-season British science fiction show, Blake's Seven. Next Saturday. I think we can find ourselves another figurehead, someone we can use to unify and expand the Rebel Alliance. The last ever episode of Blake's Seven. It's Blake, isn't it? What on earth happened to you? Well, the most of the on Earth termed. Have you betrayed us? You betrayed me. Watch Blake 7 finally. Blake reappears. Only on UK Go. Uh, it's rebellious. There's galactic empires. It's very Star Wars-esque. It's about a band of rebels. I can't even begin to explain the complexities of the show, because I'm talking about the series finale of it. Avon, Tarrant, Diana, Sulin, Orak. I mean, there's all these characters that people are being like, who, what? I mean, Farscape is mainstream compared to Blake 7. And I have to just say that this episode is called Blake. It is the 52nd episode of the show. And the main character, Blake, in in terms of Blake seven hadn't been seen for a very long time in the series. People thought he might've been dead. And in this episode, the crew of the once the crew of the liberator, now the crew of the Scorpio goes to Gowda prime in search of, well, Blake. And I have to say that this episode pulls out all the stops. It is the ultimate episode of the show. It brings back the titular character of, of Blake uh, and, uh, Avon who is, Avon is one of the great, uh, call him anti-heroes of science fiction. This show does not get enough love. Um, it is available. I have all the, the episodes on DVD. Uh, it's not going to ever come out on Blu-ray cause it was made, it was finished on tape like so many BBC shows were, but it is sophisticated. It is, uh, uh, it has a depth to it. And it is, I think, one of the great science fiction shows of all time. And this is a tremendous series finale. And I know I'm being a little vague. I I couldn't even begin because most people haven't seen it. So to get into the machinations of what's going on, I'd literally have to explain four years of plot and characters. But I just want to say, watch Blake 7. Love it. And this episode is, it does not disappoint as a series finale. I believe that's called
1: uh, a vague listing, but
2: yes. All right. I'm vague listing.
0: Well, at number 72, finally, Robert Burnett is going to introduce a show that has been notable from its omission so far, but making its debut at number 75 into the competition. Seventy two. Rob, tell us number 72. bear.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, you know, this is about this, this, this is F Scott Fitzgerald's debut novel published in 1920. Oh, wait a minute. It's not (laughs) F Scott Fitzgerald's debut novel. This is uh, an episode of the original series. It is a first season episode of the original series. And it is, it is, uh, the episode that is notable because Spock falls in love the Enterprise rolls up on a colony uh, run by Elias Sandoval and a group of settlers have made this idyllic, agrarian uh, colony where everybody seems to be loving life. Everything is beautiful. And Spock finds a woman that he encountered in the past named Lila Colomi, uh played by Charles Bronson's wife, uh, and Jill Ireland, who is just she has a classical timeless beauty and she's been in love with Spock since they first met. And this is the, they haven't encountered one another. And then we find out the secret of the colony is there's a local plant life that has the spores that will shoot you. And I guess pump you full of, I don't know the equivalent of ecstasy where you are calm and blissed out. And it's the ultimate sort of drug, but it's also, it, it it binds you to the land and, and it, it, it is the secret of this idyllic community and it allows you to sort of let go of your inhibitions, let go of anything that's stopping you from being you. And of course, Spock is shot by these spores and the entire Enterprise crew abandons the ship, leaving Kirk as the last man on the Enterprise. He's lost his command and Spock basically falls in love with a hot blonde. McCoy is making mint juleps, enjoying the farm life. And it really is about the loss of of everything. It's about the loss of order. And it's about the loss of ambition and the loss of drive. Yeah. And, and ultimately, while everyone remembers the the love that Spock and Leela Colomi share in this episode, and Spock, it's the one moment he is happy. He understands happiness. But at the end of the day, this colony that these people have made is an empty vessel. It leads no Nothing sadder than a dream that failed. And that's what Kirk says. uh, Another dream that failed, there's nothing sadder. And it was one of these moments in my life, I was like, my God, it's it's an episode that not many, many people talk about, but it is one of the most resonant and meaningful episodes of the original series, especially as you grow older as a Star Trek fan.
0: Come back to the planet with me. You can belong again.
1: Come back with me, please.
3: I can't. I love you. I said that six years ago and... I can't seem to stop repeating myself. On earth you couldn't give anything of yourself. Couldn't even put your arms around me.
0: We couldn't have anything together there. We couldn't have anything together any place else. But well, we're happy here.
3: I, I can't lose you now, Mr. Spock. I can't.
1: I have a responsibility to this ship. To that man on the bridge. I am what I am, Leila. And if there are self-made purgatories, then we all have to live in them.
2: Mine can be no worse than someone else's.
3: I have lost you, haven't I? <laughs> and not only you.
1: I've lost all of it. Spores, I've lost them too. It shows that mankind is not meant for paradise. Mankind is meant to struggle and to strive and to survive. And it's that way that he gets stronger and moves forward. And without, you know, those, without those barriers, he
0: ceases to uh, are you exist.
3: that we need our pain?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: You know, it's commonplace and understandable that people gravitate towards the love story between Spock and Jill Ireland. But there's another love story that's just as powerful in that episode, which, of course, is the love story between Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. Mm. The Mm -hmm. only reason that he's able to defeat the influence of the spores is because he refuses to leave his one true love. And, of course, uh, he's already, you know, uh, uh, apoplectic because he's been told, you know, he accuses an officer of mutiny. He goes, yes, sir. It is, you know, and uh, it's a great Kirk episode, too, because he's almost helpless against the power of the spores. But yet he is clever enough to figure out a way to free Spock. And he knows, you know, what he's done uh, and has to live with it. Because it's probably one of the one of the greatest taunting
1: scenes ever in Star Trek, where uh, Kirk confronts Spock to get the spores to let go of their influence on him.
0: Yeah. And again, some great location lensing a uh, wonderfully a wonderful script by uh DC Fontana, Dar- the late Dorothy Fontana, uh very sensitively written, very smart, and uh and, and, and originally called the way
2: of the, the Lotus
3: from the from the Odyssey. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. Like almost like beat for beat, but like in a truly wonderful way. Right.
0: Great. Well, I'm glad to see a Star Trek, the original series, finally making it to our holiday countdown, which brings us to number 71 and Ashley Edward Miller with another returning show to the countdown.
3: All right. At number 71, um, we've got another entry from a a childhood favorite of of all of ours, from The Greatest American Hero, um, an episode called Live at 11. Live at 11 is actually one of the standout episodes of The Greatest American Hero. And it's also kind of, um, it, it, I don't want to say that it's off format because it's, it's not, but it's kind of an interesting spin on the format. Basically, um, in this episode, The, the Greatest American Hero and Cat like, gets a new superpower, the ability uh, to essentially to, to connect minds with people. And what plays out it is almost beat for beat the dead zone. I mean, that's what we've got, like, for an hour, is the greatest American hero is, like, is doing the dead zone. He's Christopher Walken. Um, so if you can imagine Christopher Walken playing the greatest American hero, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. He is walking on air, right? I mean, come on. Anyway, uh, great episode, super fun, like, weirdly smart, like and, uh, and, just, and just kind of audacious in its own way.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really surprised to see greatest American hero uh, now with two two, again here on the countdown. I wonder if we'll be seeing it again. Very, very interesting. Wonderful episode off concept episode, which of course brings us to episode, uh, episode 70, another show, beloved genre show making its debut on the holiday countdown. Robert
2: Burnett, tell us what it is. The body from the fifth season of Buffy, the vampire slayer. Um. This is a this episode packs a wallop, and it is a show about love, but mostly a show about loss. And in this episode, it's written and directed by a series creator Joss Whedon. And it is about Buffy and Dawn losing their mother. And they discover her body, which which in talking with 9/11, Buffy is talking one uh, 911 trying to figure out what to do. Um, they really I mean there are flashbacks and we see Christmas and there's bait and switches pulled but no at the end of at the end of this episode it's a mom who's passed away not from any supernatural event not from any anything that Buffy Summers could have prevented from happening but as the result of a brain tumor that her mother had she had an aneurysm and died and yes there's a little bit of vampire action but it's basically ultimately about two sisters and their friends having to come to grips with the loss of their mother and it's not necessarily something you would think that the show would normally deal with but it is heart-wrenching and it is emotional and just when you thought that buffy the vampire slayer couldn't make you feel something different they do this and i think it's one of the best episodes of the show It is unexpected and it is emotionally devastating. It's a
0: real uh, demarcation point, don't you think, for the series where it goes from being sort of high school show, uh, you know, um, because you're dealing with stuff like in the wonderful episode, Innocence, what happens when a guy sleeps with you and then doesn't call you back, you know, and all these sort of high school allegories. It it becomes a much more adult show after the body and deals with much more adult things like how am I going to support my family when you know my the breadwinner dies you know I mean there's a lot it becomes a much darker show and maybe not as entertaining but much more adult and and the body is really the beginning of that
2: and I think it needed that in order to to evolve and to become something if if without this sort of watershed moment I don't think it would have it would have become the show that everybody loves because the show continually evolved but this was a show that like you said made it made it become one of i think one of the great fantasy shows that's ever been on tv
0: and, and joss whedon has been taking a lot of slings and arrows in the press lately but i've never uh, seen anything that made me think ill of him. I think he is an incredibly creative talent. He's done amazing things for the genre. We've all met him and spent some time with him. And he's an impressive guy. And I think with the body where he he made the very audacious creative choice not to use a score, um, just sensational and a a great addition to our list, which brings us to number 69 returning to the countdown. Darren Doctorman tell us what it is. Well, it's a body of another kind
1: uh from the wonderful lost in space from the one of the more goofy seasons this is journey inside the robot probably the biggest dumbest episode ever made of lost in space but i had so much fun as a kid that uh it was awesome for some reason the robot is incapacitated by aliens and is lying on his back and he starts to grow and he grows to a huge size. And it is up to Will and uh, Penny and I think Dr. Smith to go inside the robot through the, through the tread section and through the legs and, and to walk through and fix him somehow. And as they go through, they find set pieces from uh, fantastic voyage and all sorts <laughs> of stuff that were lying around, uh, the Fox, Fox lot. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's so fun and it's sort of like, it's sort of like Spock's brain in, in that, uh, you know, we, uh, have to fix robots a, body. Yeah. yeah. We have to, we have to fix a, a, a beloved, uh, uh, member of the crew and, uh, It's just a lot of fun, and it's stupid, and yes, but I love
0: it. Lost in Space. But it didn't have Nancy Sinatra uh, clones in go-go boots. So that's why Spock's brain will always have the advantage in my mind. But that's That's just me. Okay, well, shockingly, at number 68, we have a show making its debut. You may be surprised to hear that this is anywhere in our top 101. Ashley's about to tell you why. (laughs) Uh, Okay,
3: so... Uh, coming in at number 68 is um, is the pilot episode of, like, one of my, again, one of my favorite shows uh, as a kid. Um, it's the pilot of Airwolf, uh, entitled Shadow of the Hawk. So, so you might not think of this. This is not Blue Thunder. This is Airwolf. Don't get them confused. This is Airwolf. That's da, what I da, was humming. Damn it. Right. <laughs> Great goddamn theme song. Um, so, Airwolf, it doesn't really leap immediately to mind as a, as a science fiction show, but the truth of the matter is, it kind of is. Um, it is probably the, the first, um, you know, techno-thriller, a pop culture techno-thriller that made its way, like, onto television, certainly, like, beating Tom Clancy to the punch uh, by a couple of years, and it stars Jan Michael Vincent, who is quite good when he's not... Completely he's sober. When he's sober, he's quite good. And Ernest Borgnine, who, like as we've discussed, uh, the kids love. Um, as uh, basically, he, he is like one of the greatest pilots in the world. He recovers a uh, stolen piece of, um, of a high tech weapon, a high tech helicopter that's supersonic. It has a stealth mode called that's codenamed the Airwolf. Um, they call it the Lady. Um, Designed and by it, Andy Probert, most, by the way. Was it really? Yes. Wow, I love that helicopter man, that made that that show made such an impression on me. Like Literally. it really made an effort to turn the the you know the hero, Stringfellow Hawk, like into a real character with like with uh, with an actual interior life. Um it was beautifully shot, beautiful like location work on that show, especially the pilot. Um they were really going for something there and, and something a little more um, a, a little bigger, a little more adult than what was happening on television at the time. Um, you know, it ran for, I want to say, like three seasons before like they finally couldn't deal with Jan Michael Vincent's shit anymore. Um, but great show, like when it was at its best, uh, Shadow of the Hawk was certainly that show at its most epic um, and and big and cool and crazy. And again, it just had like, the the theme song to end all theme songs really we should just do like the top 101
0: greatest television theme songs
1: maybe we will next year
0: next oh. year we may be uh we I may need that, that's but, what we're uh, down to you know it, it's funny because um you know glenn larson they used to call glenn larceny because he's take these movies and turn them into uh tv shows um you know basically knock knock stuff off in the case of airwolf it's sort of funny that this was a show That knocked off Blue Thunder, which was not even a particularly successful movie, which then spawned its own TV series as well as Which was equally not successful. (laughs) But Airwolf was probably the most successful of all of them. And I I think that's because of Ernest Borgnine. It's always
3: because of Ernest Borgnine.
0: Because as we know, the kids love him. Okay. That brings us to number 67. Making its debut on the holiday countdown. It's Star Wars Rebels. The episode, Twilight of the Apprentice. It was
2: foretold that you would be here. Our long-awaited meeting has come at last.
0: I'm glad I gave you something to look forward to.
2: We need not be adversaries. The Emperor will show you mercy if you tell me where the remaining Jedi can be found. There are no Jedi. You and your Inquisitors have seen to that. Perhaps this child will continue. What you will not
3: I was beginning to believe I knew who you were Behind that mask But it's impossible My master could never be as vile as you
2: Anakin Skywalker was weak I destroyed him Then I will avenge his death Revenge is not the Jedi way
0: I am no Jedi And this is just a fantastic animated show by the great Dave Filoni. Uh, This was an episode that marked the return of Ahsoka Tano in which she, uh, uh, and and of course, Ezra uh, is lured into a trap by the evil Darth Maul. And uh, uh, the the, the two part, the brilliant two part episode uh, culminates with a fabulous lightsaber fight between Ahsoka Tano and Darth Vader, Uh, with James Earl Jones reprising the voice of the Dark Lord of the Sith. This is as good as kids' animation gets. No, it's not kids' animation. But this is as good as animation gets. Uh, it's, It's a powerful, strong compelling show with some beloved heroes it's as good as anything in the live action star wars movies and uh it's a it's a fabulous two-part and a very underrated series it's becoming a big part of the mandalorian and the extended star wars universe on disney plus so if you haven't seen star wars rebels you should check it out because uh there are a lot of threads that uh i think uh, these shows are going to be pulling on in live action and uh this is is one of the best Number sixty-six, Mister Burnett.
2: Wow. Well, this is again a, 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 a season finale, Abaddon's Gate. It uh, the it, it's the end of the third season of the Expanse, also the end of the Expanse's run on the Sci Fi Channel before it became a an Amazon show, and the shit hits the fan in this episode. Uh, ring gates are opening to alternate universes or, or, or not alternate universes, but many other places in our universe. And of course the great David Strathairn, uh, is, is the, the villain of this. And, and, um, uh, Kara G is a Kamina drummer and they're, they're the belters that are seeking their independence. And of course the crew of the Rosinante are trying to stop them from ending everything and there is so much at stake in this episode and it 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 is the episode that opens literally opens up the the universe the galaxy to everyone in the milky way and it expands the show it could have been the series finale but it wasn't the proto molecule uh does what it does and it creates the rings and it opens up the galaxy it's just it's epic science fiction it's It's. I can't tell you, when I watched this episode, I was like, my jaw was on the floor, the stakes were huge, the concepts were giant, the characters were were great, and um, I really thought this was going to be the end, but thank God, Jeff Bezos from Amazon saved the show, and we got season four, and now the exquisite season five. And hopefully, they're going to do all nine books, but they say they're going to end after book six. But Rob,
1: you got to help me with this. I've tried to start watching this show at least three times. I haven't made it past episode three. Tell me how to do this.
2: You got to get to episode four. I was afraid By the end of episode four, I'm telling you. Okay. You got to give it one more
0: time. One I more. I trust episode. you and I believe you. People used to tell me that about The Wire, and then I watched it. And I was hooked from the first episode. So I never understood why people were saying, oh, give it to the
2: fourth episode. And it was like the wire from like the first 10 minutes was brilliant. I have to tell you, though, Darren's correct. This show is a slow burn. But once you get, oh, it's like a roller coaster. It's taking you slowly up and you're like, uh, I'm, I'm telling you by the end of episode four, it plunges down.
1: And, I'm, and- I have to admit, I'm, I'm particularly numbed by the Canadian-ness.
2: Mm-hmm. We, okay but I have to tell you one of the things about this show I do think it's one of the it, it might be the very best uh, produced science fiction show because the way they use like they'll figure out a way to use a sliver of a set the same way in TNG's relics they built a sliver of the yeah. bridge and they'll use like one reverse with a green screen insert behind somebody mm-hmm. to create and, and season five is, or pardon me uh, yeah season five it's astonishing what well, they, they had get much away with. a bigger budget the when
0: they moved to Amazon uh, yeah. than they did at, at Sci-Fi Channel. And but the but great, they... uh, Nareen Shanker is the showrunner, another <laughs> yep. child of that Star Trek uh, writers, that all-star Star Trek writers room, yep. you know, that led to, you were on more, Brandon Braga, R- Rene the, the Robert Hugh Wolf, all these guys who came out of uh, Star Trek.
1: Well, um, I, would, I would love to enjoy it, and I will try again. It's gotta, on our list. Let's
2: get past episode
0: four. Okay. There you go. Okay, so very popular show. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be very happy to see The Expanse making its appearance at number 66, which brings us to number 65, and a show, uh, or, or rather a miniseries, that changed the face of television. Mm. Before we talked about Kenneth Johnson and The Incredible Hulk, well, Kenny Johnson returned with a, 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 a show, a miniseries, that really had a huge impact on a lot of people. And, of course, I'm talking about 1984's V.
2: Tonight is your chance to see how it all began To relive the excitement that is V The most extraordinary miniseries ever A daring TV journalist Struggling to uncover the startling truth Behind the aliens' visit to Earth And a beautiful and brave young scientist Fighting for the very survival of the human race Together they take you on a fantastic journey To meet the visitors Prepare yourself for a television event That's out of this world Prepare for V Next
0: A lot of people don't realize the kind of impact this had. It ran for two nights on NBC uh, and nobody had seen anything like it. Giant spaceships hovering over uh, the major cities of the world. Uh, Mark Singer as a journalist who is invited to chronicle the arrival of aliens on Earth. Uh, Faye Grant, who ultimately becomes a resistance uh, resistance leader. And they were never able to recapture the magic. There was a sequel under different... uh, uh, of producers, uh, The final battle, uh, which, while entertaining, uh, did not have the heart and the, the, the sort of allegory that infused uh, the original V. And then, of course, the series, uh, it's, it became a camp fest. And then more recently, ABC uh, rebooted it to, to even lesser effect. Um, but the original miniseries was a huge pop culture phenomenon everyone was talking about it i remember i was in high school at the time and you know coming in and and everyone was talking about v i mean it was something that not not since the day after had like a show completely dominated uh the the quote-unquote water cooler conversation and it's if you go back and you look at it you know you could argue it dated a little bit but it's a very strong story because kenneth johnson said you know, he wanted to deal with the occupation. He went back and looked at Vichy, France. He looked back, you know, he looked back at um, uh, the occupation in, you know, in occupied France and and, 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 and the Nazi youth and uh, Aryan youth. And it's a very effective uh, story, sometimes a little too on the nose, as in the case of Leonard uh, Chimino's Holocaust survivor. Um, but um, a really right. great some great action. David Stipes, who later worked on Next Generation, uh, did some with some great ships, some great shows. Clearly, a big influence on our uh, benefactor, Dean Devlin. Um, you know, his Independence Day took a lot of the iconography of V and made it even cooler and better. Um, and uh, and uh, it's it's number sixty-five on our list.
2: By the way, I just want to point out that Warner Archive recently remastered both V and V: The Final Battle on. Blu-ray and when you go back and you watch it like Mark said it really works at least the first V miniseries really works they haven't done
0: the TV series yet that's only on DVD
1: right number 64 on on our list (laughs) though I love it dearly I'm not going to say Journey Inside the Robot again luckily I do have a backup in my mind that I hoped to be able to use and this is it the episode is from batman the animated series and it is my absolute favorite episode of that show and it is called beware the gray ghost Mm.
2: this place is amazing it's just like the gray ghost's lair it's almost an exact replica let me show you something else oh As a kid, I used to watch you with my father. The great ghost was my hero. So it wasn't all for nothing. <laughs>
1: it is a great episode about a TV actor that Bruce Wayne idolized as a kid. He, he watched the TV series in black and white on uh, with Alfred standing next to him as a child. And he was, the Gray ghost was the hero that batman would actually become in real life and he uh he gets to meet this actor through a series of uh, unfortunate events that uh, is all tied in with a a toy store owner who is uh doing nefarious deeds let's say and the actor who played the gray ghost is played by adam west and Mm -hmm. it has that extra sort of uh Layer of wonderfulness in it that uh, it is absolutely emotional and it makes you tear up, especially if you're of a certain age. And
0: it's uh, a great episode.
1: It's a great episode. It has a great And there's so many great
0: episodes of that series, but that's one of the best, uh, along with Almost Got'em and a couple of... of uh, But, but yeah. yeah, Heart of Ice. Um, but, but what, what, what I think I'm I'm so happy to see uh, Beware the Great Ghost on our list. Um, Batman the Animated Series to this day remains certainly one of the best adaptation, or you know, of, 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 of the Dark Knight, uh, if not Fantastic. the best. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, a great, great, great choice. Um, that brings us to number 63. Once again, Darren Doctorman bringing us uh, a show <sighs> making its debut on the countdown.
1: Yes. Well, I know Mr. Burnett is going to have something to say about this as well. Um, Even though our argument wasn't about this episode, it was about another episode. But uh, this is from the wonderful series uh, from Jerry Anderson, UFO. And it is the first pilot episode called Identified. And it deals with the question, what if a huge movie studio is actually just a front for a secret organization battling aliens. And I think that's the greatest thing ever. Uh, You know,
0: uh, it may uh, be the greatest premise of a TV show ever. It's so great. And And by the way,
2: it is a working movie studio. Harlington Straker Studios is actually producing movies. And the leader of that studio also happens to be the leader of, you can go on and talk about that.
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, Commander Straker is head of Harlington Straker Studios. I hardly know her. But I'm bummed. And he, uh, he, he has an office that is basically an elevator that goes underground, and uh, uh, the whole uh, operation is down there, and connected to a wonderful moon base with uh, with uh, w- bewigged uh, women in uh, skimpy outfits. Well, not skimpy, but very form-fitting outfits. Why well, the they opposite. can change, They're They're not morph- they
2: but they can change, you unzip them, they go from skimpy well, to being full-bodied, yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's
1: just say the moon is a very groovy place and it's also a window to heaven that's right. <laughs> for the eyes of lovers below uh and yeah it's it's great and you know the the hardware in it is great the software in it is great uh and uh, just so many great things to enjoy ufo uh about and the the pilot is a great sort of introduction to all of this
2: it's also, it winds up being one of the darkest live action science fiction shows ever made. The fatalistic version of it, the, the, the idea that these characters, the, the, our main characters, are fighting a clandestine war. It's a multinational organization that is Super Secret Shadow, the supreme headquarters of the alien defense organization. But they can't tell anyone what, we're, what they're doing, and the aliens are stealing organs because they're a dying race. It is a really, really dark dark show. human organs not uh
1: musical instruments right yes human
2: Although organs. that would
3: also
1: be cool
3: <laughs> also has a great theme song oh it's great
0: one of the
2: grass best Barry
0: welcome Gray. to my
3: ocean kitchen
0: that's All right. Right. I was we were looking for an organ we didn't know <laughs> um but uh yeah it, you know it, it has a great theme i i think uh, a lot of uh, people listening are probably surprised if i uh, would a strong showing jerry anderson is making on the countdown. Mm. Uh, he's In fact, right now, um, uh, we've seen more of Jerry Anderson than we've seen of Gene Roddenberry. More of Erwin Allen than we've seen of uh, Gene Roddenberry. It'll be interesting to see if we see any of his other shows, like Voyager to the Bottom of the Sea, which is a, a beloved, uh, or Time Tunnel. But uh, we'll find out as we continue our countdown. That brings us to number 62 and Robert Burnett with another show making its debut on the holiday countdown.
2: Star Trek Voyager, uh, the episode timeless. Now, this episode should be everything wrong with Star Trek. It was written by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski, the two crazy wild men, the Hunter S. Thompsons of the writing staff of Star Trek Voyager. I mean, you want space anomalies, you want weird horror elements, you want bizarreness, the two of them together, you'd think everything could go off the rails. This time, they create what I think is magic, even though It's got time travel, an alternate future. It's got a teaser where we find out that the starship Voyager crashed on an ice world in an amazing effect sequence. Everybody was killed except Harry Kim and Chakotay. And in the teaser, we find them. We don't know it's them at first. And they find the Voyager. They find the the, the numbers of the Voyager, the NCC numbers underneath the ice. And it goes from there. And it's about two men trying to change a timeline to save their crew, which became kind of a Voyager staple or a cliche, depending on how you want to look at it, directed by LeVar Burton. But this episode is, I mean, I hate to say it. It's it, its what Star Trek is all, it's an anomalous episode, but Voyager was all about everything that people loved about Star Trek, like the time travel episodes and all that Voyager did that way too much. It relied on these kinds of gimmicks. This episode shouldn't work, but it does. And um, I, I, I love this episode. It's <laughs> so funny, Rob. You should make no apologies.
0: Because, you know, if I read the TV description, Chakotay and Harry Kim saved the Voyager, I would say, I don't have to watch it this week. But you know <laughs> what? <laughs> the, the thing is, I did watch it. And it's great. You know, it's not great. only do you have the Voyager crashing in a much cooler sequence than Generations when the Enterprise crashes. but
2: Or, or it, in Discovery when the uh, Discovery crashes in the ice.
0: Oh, I, I don't know. I haven't seen that show. But I do think that this is a wonderful episode. I agree with everything you said. It, there's, it should not have worked. And again, LeVar Burton, uh, uh, Jordy being the dick. You know, uh, uh, who's Mr. The one causing, you know, who who's in the way of somebody's obsession. You know, it's amazing how often he gets the thankless role of being the impediment, uh, the adversary to our quote unquote beloved characters.
2: And And as the director uh, of the episode, you know, he agreed to be in it because he got to direct it too.
0: Totally. But it's a it's a wonderful episode and it's a very interesting pick. I'll be curious to see uh, how much Voyager we see on this list, given that we're already at number sixty-two, um, and we haven't seen uh, anything from Deep Space Nine. We we've seen very little of Next Generation, and very little of TOS, or right. and no Enterprise. So it'll be uh, and no, and of course, no, and no Lieutenant
3: Yar, <laughs> <And>
0: no <laughs> Lieutenant Yar. So uh, we 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 great great pick, and and that takes us to number sixty-one. Surprisingly, uh, the return of another show from earlier in the countdown.
3: You know, guys. Here's the thing. For those who believe (laughs) that life here began out there Uh, with the original Battlestar Galactica uh, and one of my very favorite episodes, two-parters, War of the Gods.
1: Edison, fast. They must be traveling at speeds beyond our comprehension. Your people will be safe under my leadership. I've come to prepare your way to Earth.
0: And what kind of games do they play where you come from?
1: Games that would amaze you. You would hope that the humans have made so advanced a breakthrough? The alternative is that we have encountered a new and more powerful
2: force in the universe. Apollo, don't ever make the mistake of threatening me again, or you'll forfeit your life.
3: Now, you might ask yourself, other than vamping, Ashley, why did you begin uh, your description of this with the opening narration of the show? Well, for two reasons. Number one, because it's badass. Number two, because it's read by Patrick Macney. Patrick Macney, who also provides the voice of the Cylon Furious leader, who also plays Count Ibley, the devil himself the antagonist of these episodes the villain the ultimate villain of the original batman star galactica um and he is fantastic uh like every like every word that comes out of that man's mouth i mean come on he's john steed he has to be cool uh it's just it's scary it's awesome it is really the the one part of the original mythology of the show that that Ron Moore, for whatever reason, decided not to include um, in uh, in the in the Battlestar Galactica uh, reimagining, um, I think in some ways to its detriment uh, because it was just so goddamn interesting. On the other hand, how do you follow Patrick Mcnee? I don't I don't McNe- know that it's
1: Mcnee. Is it? Actually, it's McNee. Uh, is it, isn't it pronounced McNeigh. like with the
3: British? Not, Not Patrick Isn't
1: it maker?
0: Patrick McNeil. It's just McNeil. Star of A View to a Kill. Yes.
3: Yeah. Damn it. <laughs>
0: okay, well, look. He was in the Avengers Endgame. <laughs> It's a fantastic (laughs) choice. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. This is our third original Battlestar Galactic episode to make the countdown so far. But I think it's well earned in this case. Uh, It has one of the great um, part one finales ever, where basically Count Ibli has granted Adama and the Council of Twelve three wishes, basically three requests. And they've asked as one of the requests that their enemy be delivered. And there's this montage where he says, if that is your request, uh, you know, he will grant your enemy will be delivered to you unto you this night. And Baltar decides suddenly that he's going to turn himself in to, to the colonials. And he arrives and there's this great montage and this incredible <laughs> stew, swelling, Stu stew Phillips music as our enemy is delivered unto us. It's biblical. It's operatic. It's awesome. And for all the goofiness, this is as dark as the show ever got, other than the complete annihilation of the human race. Right. But (laughs) that was followed by a trip to the casino. It's fantastic. And, you know, for all these secular shows on like Star Trek and everything, Galactica was the one show because Larson was a Mormon that wasn't afraid to deal with religion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you had the, the 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 angels, the the light ship, and then you had this demonic force, whether it be Satan or Asmodeus or whatever in, in Count Hilly, which is the Arabic name for demon or devil. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just great stuff. And, and man, it, it shows <laughs> and it shows that there is a place for um, for religion in science fiction, yeah. and uh, or at least religious themes. And uh, it's terrific. And a great pick.
1: Which brings us to number sixty and Robert Meyer Burnett,
0: and another you know
1: debuting show on the uh, calendar. I,
2: I I have to say that I have a love hate relationship with the series Lost. Um, I thought it it started ridiculously, it kind of lost me, but when you get to the fourth season of this show, it's so outlandish and crazy. But this episode. The Constant is the episode everybody remembers because it's the episode where Desmond, they, it, it deals with being unstuck in time. It it deals with love and being anchored to somebody. What does it mean to be a constant? It would be to try and describe what goes, what goes on in this episode. One of the things about Lost that I always thought was so funny is that no one ever sat down. Like there was never an episode where people are like, we're traveling through time, isn't that insane? Like nobody ever actually sat down and talked about their situation, but this episode, it it sheds light into one of the more mysterious characters, which was of course a uh, uh, um, Desmond Lock. and no. Saeed. and 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 you got you got Jeff Faye's character, and it was just, it was such a and well, Locke. This this wasn't really his his episode, but. This episode, I think, took the show to an emotional level that we'd never felt before, and it took it to a different place. And it became suddenly you—you you, you were trying. You watch Lawson, like, what is going on in the show? But this episode was all about emotion, and it was all about uh, feeling, which was different. And it, this, I think, was the show. That was single-handedly responsible for cementing Lost's reputation to being this amazing show that people love, aside from the worst season, which I feel is the greatest audience betrayal of all time. But that wow, I, I got to tell you, Rob, I am usually
0: unimaginably completely simpatico with Rob Burnett and his taste in popular culture. However, I am so in disagreement with this, not the choice of the concert, which I think is terrific, but his dismissal of the first three years of Lost. I think in the wake of that awful season finale, we forget how truly groundbreaking and and good uh, 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 Lost was for such a long time it. I wasn't dismissing it It's just they didn't know what they were doing They were making it up as they went along yeah, Absolutely, but that pilot is one of the great pilots uh, Both from a production point of view No doubt And a storytelling I mean, it's the mystery box the, When the mystery box is closed It's fascinating when the mystery box is opened, it's always inevitably a letdown. We all know that. JJ has yet to, uh, he, 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 he's never had the goods inside the mystery box. No, but the box itself is wrapped in some very appealing tinsel and foil, and uh, very, you know, you, you want to open it on Christmas morning. But the key is, don't open it. Don't open the box. So um,
1: what JJ missed, what JJ missed in his uh, mystery box uh, speech is that the reason there were mystery boxes is that magic stores couldn't sell a bunch of stuff that people didn't want.
0: So they put it in a box to hide what it was so that they could sell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I agree that the constant is a great episode. Fantastic. I I, I think there are are a lot of great episodes of Lost. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see more Lost as we continue the countdown. Well, that
1: will bring us now to number 59 and also Mr. Burnett.
2: (sighs) We this is okay. This is one of the greatest episodes of television ever. It's a UFO episode. Uh, Ed Straker has to deal with the fact that, first of all, this is episode in the middle of a science fiction action adventure show. It opens with Ed Straker dealing with his destroyed marriage. Because his secrecy and creating shadow, his wife thinks he's having an affair, so his marriage went south. Now he's estranged from his wife, and he sees his his son on the weekends. His son chasing after him after a night, a a, a day out. His son wants to show him a model ship and gets hit by a car. And his kid is, is dying. And Ed Straker, you know, fighting aliens, the greatest fight of his life is to see his son survive. And it turns out that there is an experimental drug that might save his life, that he can pull strings and use shadow um, equipment and technology to get this drug from America to Britain quickly. But it turns out that a UFO event occurs and Straker is is he either gets the drug to save his son or he reroutes the plane that's carrying the drug and also shadow equipment to triangulate a potential alien defector that could be the secret of the whole war against the aliens. And he has to, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And he reroutes the shadow equipment. And it turns out the alien defector is real, but the real aliens track the alien defector down and find him at the end of the episode. The defector is killed and Straker's son dies. And it is the most dark, fatalistic show. And, and Ed Straker is left in the lobby of the, of the hospital where his son has just died. And his ex-wife, who hates him anyway, comes out with her new husband and looks at him and says, I never want to see you ever again, ever. And she's screaming. Her new husband walks her out. And Ed Straker, there's this great overhead shot where he's left alone. With the weight of the world on his shoulders, he's fighting a war to save humanity, and it's now cost him the life of his son. And my God, is it shattering. Yeah. It's an amazing episode. The marionettes on
1: Thunderbirds could never have handled an episode like this. You know,
0: it's funny. That's what you say that, because I was just going to say, the conventional wisdom with these Jerry Anderson series are always... Oh, you know, the the acting is so wooden. Everyone thinks that's so funny because, you know, of course he's famous for Thunderbirds and all those shows. But the reality is, is there was some great drama on UFO. There was some good drama on space, 1999, Mm. you know, some good acting, you know uh, this whole uh, cliche of, you know, wooden acting, I think is a, is a misnomer and unfair uh, to these shows. Are they perfect shows? No, but they had perfect moments. Uh, and 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 ufo uh more so even than space 1999 and and given the fact it was so short-lived is really worth seeking out for those who are not familiar with it
2: and for you know I, i'd like to say if you watch if you only watch three episodes of the show watch identified confetti check a-okay and a question of priorities because it's like a, a trilogy that will tell you a lot of everything you need to know about the show and if you like those then you can move forward and go see more and i had my confetti check just the
0: other day so <laughs> which and now on that <laughs> note it brings us to number 48 with another debuting show on our countdown 48 and no 58 i said 58 you said forty-eight. Said 48 oh no it brings us to number 58 and a, a return a, a new show on our countdown once again robert burnett is going to tell us what it is and why it's number
2: 58 tell him right Again, I, I hate that we're, we're, I feel like a crutch of our, we, we have a crutch of this show now, of our countdown, which is series finales. It's a crutch. <laughs> and it will continue well, to be- They often are a- the best episodes
0: because they know the characters by then. They know, you know, the stories have more emotional resonance because they usually put a lot more resources and money into them.
2: Yes. And this episode is called Mirror Image. It is the 22nd and final episode of season five. Also the final episode of the series of quantum leap next it's the leap you've been waiting for for years the final leap this is where it all started now all your questions will be answered you
0: are the one who's been leaving me come back one last time to see how it all ends i want to go home the
2: final leap
0: at its original time on nbc next
2: and uh we begin with sam he leaps to the day of his birth And he basically, he gets involved in an intimate sort of a family situation, trying to help people out. Um, And when he goes back into time, uh, to his own birth, he looks into a mirror and sees his own image looking back at him, but it's not him. And it's just, you know, you follow this guy, you find out that Sam actually created the Quantum Leap program. And it, it's just he's offered a choice. Does he keep going or does he go home? And he ends up, he he makes the choice not to go home and to keep leaping through time. And uh, uh, it's, he, he helps a, a family friend of his and changes the past. And it's just, it's a wonderful episode and it sort of encapsulates the whole series. And, I I love this show. I've gone back and revisited uh, the, the the show over the years, and it really holds up because of you know the relationship of, of Dean Stockwell's character and uh, and of course Scott Bakula, and it's it's just a great show. And this this season finale is very very satisfying. Created by Donald
0: Bellisario, who is a protege of the late uh, um, Glenn Larson, uh, he actually. Uh, uh, some of his earliest scripts were for the original Battlestar Galactica he later went on to create Magna PI and of course famously Quantum Leap and later NCIS but uh, some would argue that Quantum Leap is probably his 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 crowning achievement
2: no it's great and and the, fu- the funny thing is this is not an apocalyptic show sam goes back and and saves the life of a person for a friend you know and changes the course of a life it's a small show but it, it 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 has such big emotional resonance, and it's it's everything you want from a series finale. It's very you know, satisfying. The idea
0: for Quantum leap came out of an episode he wrote for Galactica, which was called Experiment in Terra. And it, it is when Apollo uh, uh, jumps into it, the, the city of light, the light ship uh, has Apollo appear as someone else to stop a nuclear war on a planet called Terra. And it is very much a Quantum Leap episode. And in in, in a lot of ways, ended up inspiring Quantum Leap was him taking that concept that he'd done for Galactica and doing it on Earth with this character of Sam Beckett. But uh, had it not been for that Battlestar Galactica episode, it's unlikely there would have been a a Quantum Leap. So, uh, you know, there's certain eddies and currents that draw us these things. Number 57, another show making its debut on the countdown. This is... Star Wars, the Clone Wars, and much to Rob Burnett's chagrin, it is indeed the series finale. This is the four-part series finale, Old Friends Not Forgotten, The so Phantom Good. Apprentice, Shattered, and Victory and Death. This resolves the battle for Mandalore and culminates uh, uh, with age, um, the the dreaded Order 66, in which the um, clones uh, turn on their Jedi Masters uh, and... and uh, Flea and Ahsoka uh, Tano disappearing into the night and ends with an iconic image worthy of any of the movies and far exceeding probably most of them, uh, where Darth Vader uh, finds the last remnants of Ahsoka Tano, his former protege, his former um, uh, padawan uh, uh, on, on this snowy planet, uh, realizing that uh, she is still alive and in the wind, so to speak. It is a very powerful and moving conclusion to a spectacular show, which began on the cartoon channel as a semi kid show, kind of like, you know, standalone, kind of better than droids. But by the time it, it hit its stride in late first season, uh, through the second season, certainly in this finale of uh, uh, in which um, Disney Plus finished the last couple of episodes that had never been uh, 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 finished. It is absolutely some of the best Star Wars ser- uh, st- storytelling. I think one of the best uh, uh, um, raves I heard is it redeems the prequels. And I don't know no, if that's doesn't. quite true, <laughs> but in a way it will make you appreciate the story uh, telling of the prequels that much more because um, the story of the clone wars is really one of deep complexity emotional weight and and loss and tragedy were you not cast out of your order i left voluntarily
1: yes but you were motivated to leave by the hypocrisy of the jedi council we were both tools for greater powers
3: I am here to bring you to justice.
1: Justice is merely the construct of the current power base. A base which, according to my calculations, is about to change.
3: And Darth Sidious is behind it?
1: He is behind everything. In the shadows, always, but soon, very soon. He will reveal
2: himself.
3: With your help the jedi can stop sidious
0: before
2: it's too late too late for what the republic to fall it already has and you just can't see it there is no justice no law no order except for the one that will replace it the time of the jedi has passed they cannot defeat Sidious. but together you and i choice you have made has led you to this moment
3: look i love the clone wars like i big time hard hands like the clone wars and i love these episodes they almost convinced me that revenge of the sith was good and then i went after i watched this and i watched revenge of the sith again i was like no no it's like if you watch them all together it would be like what if somebody cut all of the good shit Out of Revenge of the Sith. I mean, The Clone Wars just exposes the fundamental weakness of literally every aspect of those prequels because you realize how much potential was there and how much of it was wasted. But I don't want to dwell on the negative. I love these episodes. I love Ahsoka Tano. Like, I love The Clone Wars. I think this is a
0: totally, totally fantastic pick, and I just love it. Number 56, we've done a lot of Pulp. But now here's some true science fiction from 1979. Rob Burnett, tell us what it is.
2: Uh, This was PBS's first foray into making a feature film based on a literary science fiction novel, Ursula K. Le Guin's The Lathe of Heaven.
1: I want you to dream peace on Earth. No more war. No more mass killings of humans by other humans.
3: No more fighting in Asia, Africa,
1: the Middle East, or anywhere in the world.
2: Antwerp. It remains one of my favorite science fiction films of all time. Uh, It stars Bruce Davidson as George Orr, Kevin Conway, who people know from Deep Space Nine uh, as William Haber and Margaret Avery. And for those of you who are pilloring me online all the time, Margaret Avery actually cast in the actual feature film as the Federation president because of she was in this movie. We never got to make that, but whatever. So this film is basically about a man living in a future Portland, raining all the time, ecological collapse, who is an effective dreamer. His dreams change reality but nobody knows it but him and he people think that he's just got some kind of dream problem and he ends up in a relationship with his uh ornithologist his dream psychiatrist psychiatrist essentially and this doctor William Haber comes to realize that George Orr has effective dreams that do in fact change reality And this sort of megalomaniacal doctor with a God complex starts to try and fix mankind with the best of intentions, with the best of intentions and the road to hell. You know, he wants to get rid of racism. So a dream changes everyone into ashen gray people where, and he wants to unite humanity and make everybody believe in the same things. And what happens? Humanity is united against an alien invasion, And at the same time, poor George Orr is trying to figure out what is really going on. Is his psychiatrist crazy? Is is he solving his problem? And then he falls in love with his own lawyer. And reality, indeed, the universe is at stake. And this was a film made for $250,000 in 1979. But it is one of the most epic science fiction films I've ever seen. And I'll tell you something. I had seen it before I got a VCR. Mm. And I got a VCR and I was at summer camp and I was explaining to people, damn it, if only I had a VCR when this movie aired. And when I came home from summer camp, magically the week after I came home, it aired on TV and I recorded it. And I probably watched this movie a hundred times. And it's one of my favorite science fiction films. Unfortunately, it only came out on on video once on Blu-ray or pardon me uh, on a, DVD, on a, on a DVD, yes, DVD, and and they have lost the negative, and they had to do a sound alike. They used a, a Beatles song with a little help from my friends that they had to replace because they didn't have the rights to yeah. put it on home video. Uh, well, but it remains uh, some someday the well, negative. Not will only be that, found. I think it
0: was a second generation. They had lost the master, and it yep. was off an air. Uh, so it's a very ratty. Uh, looking version of 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 uh lathe of heaven it's only been released on dvd well uh, if, which is why i think it's so underseen
1: if any of our listeners uh participate in effective dreaming uh think about you know bringing us the masters for the lathe of heaven and i'm just going to give you one word Antwerp
2: Antwerp Antwerp <laughs> well this and, yes <laughs> this negative this negative exists and I'll tell you something the cinematographer uh, of this film I actually met him because he shot Free Willy which mm. I I worked on and uh it was it was amazing to talk to him and and he he laughed when I uh Robbie Greenberg who shot this movie couldn't believe that I was like the ultimate Lathe of Heaven fan And I would take him aside. I'd make him tell tell me stories. And he's like, you know what? We didn't have much money. I said, I know, man, but tell me about how'd you do this?
0: Yeah, Rob, Rob, I could not agree with you more. Uh, This debuted on PBS in 1979. It is one of the great televised pieces of science fiction ever. Um, The the budget uh, doesn't really affect it because mostly it takes place in rooms between Bruce Davison and Kevin Conway. Uh, The performances are superb. Um, It's amazing that PBS uh, produced this. It's amazing that there has not been uh, science fiction, uh, 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 you know, um, novelized uh, uh, science fiction produced at this level since... Very rarely, any very famously, NBC did a miniseries of the Martian Chronicles, which is not very good uh, with Rock Hudson. Right. The Lathe of Heaven shows you exactly how it's done, and as you said, it's only been released on DVD and a not very in in and no. a very unsatisfying transfer. And even that DVD is now long out of print. It was new video, I believe. Yes, and uh, so most, if not all, of our audience is probably not familiar with this. If you have any way. To see this film, you will not
2: be disappointed. It it, it is is spectacular. But I have to say it was remade in the early aughts with James Caan. Yeah. And it, that was nothing like this film. (laughs) Not to, not to belittle the work of other people, but it, it, it's not this. You've got to find the score is ahead of its time. Amazing. The score is amazing. I think it's on YouTube. I think it you can watch it is. on YouTube. It probably is. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm so glad to see this on our list. Fantastic choice. Uh, that brings us to number 55, uh, a classic TV series. Darren, tell us what it is.
1: There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. And it's the Twilight Zone. I, I buried the lead there. um this is uh, one of my favorite episodes of the twilight zone and uh uh, for very uh, important reasons it was also my dad's favorite episode of it and uh, it's called walking distance
0: martin sloan age 36 occupation vice president ad agency in charge of media this is not just a sunday drive for martin sloan he perhaps doesn't know it at the time but it's an exodus somewhere up the road he's looking for sanity and somewhere up the road he'll find something else
1: it's uh, the story about this guy who uh, has to stop for gas at a uh, small uh, rural station that is uh, you know about a couple miles away from the town that he grew up in and so when he's uh, getting the the Uh, The car uh, uh, fixed up a little bit and refueled. He's going to take a few minutes to go over and walk and see how his old hometown is doing. And that walk takes him into the twilight zone. Because when he arrives, it is exactly the way it was when he was eight years old. And he begins to realize that it is, in fact, the same time as it was when he was eight years old and he is visiting that time and he sees himself and he sees his father who is uh, still around and he realizes that uh, through his actions he falls off a merry-go-round and hurts his leg and uh that incident happens and, and he, he goes to talk to his father. His father doesn't really know who he is. We think, Hmm. but I think that at some point the father realizes and he explains to him that even though it's nice to visit this place that he grew up in, that you can never go home again because this summer is for him, the eight year old version of him. And as he has this wonderfully emotional discussion, with his father, who is long gone. Uh, and he walks away. He walks back to the gas station. We see he has a limp now. And it's really a heart-wrenching and wonderful episode. And uh, I absolutely love it. It's a, a simple story, but it's so exquisitely told.
0: Uh, I will be shocked if we don't see more episodes of Twilight Zone on this countdown. Twilight Zone is, is the... Uh... Well, it's, it's, it's the, the, it's probably the best science fiction. It's the gold standard for storytelling. Indeed it is. And uh, uh, this is our, the first Twilight Zone to appear on our countdown, but I'm sure not the last. Um, And that brings us to number 54, the walking dead, the Grove. Now there are a lot of episodes of the walking dead that are viscerally charged that are nail biters uh, for for many seasons, The Walking Dead was probably the most intense and, and one of the, the smartest uh, genre TV shows on television. But uh, in the case of The Grove, there was probably uh, no episode that was more emotionally powerful than this episode in which uh, basically Carol... Um, is charged sort of with these two girls who have become her surrogate children in a sense, because in the second season, she lost her daughter who was turned into a zombie. And now after having been bit, she's going to have to kill, kill, you know, is, is, is kill the girl. And uh, it gave us the famous line, look at the flowers, look at the flowers. And it's extremely powerful um, for people who thought this was just, a roller coaster ride with great effects and great zombie action. The Grove proved that this was also a great drama and a very powerful episode of The Walking Dead. And that's why it's number 54 on our countdown of 101 great sci fi and fantasy
3: episodes. Ironically, I agree that this is a great episode. It is also the episode where The Walking Dead lost me. I was like, wow. once I watched it, I was done. And it was just because, I mean, it was, again, it's not about whether or not it was good. It was incredibly good and incredibly powerful, but I was just in a place where I was like, look, I'm a new dad. And like, I just, mm-hmm.
0: I was, I'm out. That's, um, I, that's it's, completely understandable. Yeah. It's very hard to watch.
3: Yeah. It's very great. hard to
0: watch. And it it really makes you feel for, for her situation because uh, obviously it was very powerful when her daughter dies on Herschel's farm. And yeah, I think there are a bunch of episodes of the walking dead that potentially could have made our list. But again, this, this is a, uh, you know, an hour of very powerful drama and not just amazing set pieces and, uh, and, and suspense. Um, and, and uh, there's a reason I think it's considered such a beloved episode of the walking dead, which now brings us to number 53, a show in a way that's making its debut on our countdown.
2: Maybe kind of you, I guess it is Robert Dad, tell us what it is. Well, to keep up with our theme of series finales, <laughs> one of the most epic series, a, a three part series finale, uh, season four of Ron Moore and David Icke's reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Um, this, first of all, <laughs> This show first begins as we're going to save Hera, the, the, the Cylon human hybrid baby that has been taken by the Cylons to figure out the secret of reproduction uh, and, and a classic movie trope. Let's go save the kid and, and let's go save the kid. This might be our last hurrah and and all of our all of our characters the 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 final 5 the reveal of them and everybody all the all the plot comes together and it becomes a, a ultimate the ultimate men women Cylons, collaborators everybody on a mission to save a baby to save a little girl basically and it is Epic. I mean, it pulls out all the stops. The effects are incredible. We're gonna go invade a, whether it's your mountain fortress, whether it's the Death Star, or whether it's a Cylon base. Uh, I mean, it's ama- it's amazing, and the action is incredible and it's an incredible culmination. And you think that it's 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 the wild bunch, you know. They're they're this is it. But oh no, oh no, uh, then it becomes uh the jimmy hendrix comes into play god comes into play the god the the unspoken character that's always been with this series uh the car uh the the starbuck angel starbuck divine starbuck whatever and at the end the you think all is lost but no at the last minute there is i mean any other series uh due machina would have been frowned upon but in this case the god was always with us so we make a jump the Galactica's back she's broke the back her back is broke she'll never jump again as Ty says they find earth they find the real earth what if, I know terrible right and, you something funny go ahead I'm sorry well I, I just I have to say that I don't know why a lot of people complain about the end of this show this show, the end of this, when they get to proto—I mean, we got proto humans. I proto humans, but not Neanderthals. But but uh, emerging 150,000 years ago, what we were like, and the galactica finds us. And I, the last hour of this show, is for me—I cry and blubber every time I watch it, or you as know, I like Ro- to call
1: them, just hot enough humans. It's
2: Rosalind <laughs> dies in Adama's arms, basically. uh uh, angel starbuck is 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 talking to lee and just she just disappears i mean it it is so poignant they send off the entire fleet into the sun to the strains of the original galactica music bear mccrary score he he kills it just kills it everything Mm -hmm. about this and and while the denouement, whatever you want to call it, you already got the action, the ultimate battle for Hera and all that, but this episode kills me, man. And then at the very end, you jump 150,000 years into the future to our present day, and what has happened before will happen again. da na 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 And Jimi Hendrix kicks in. Uh, Bob Dylan. I, I Bob Dylan, that's you, what I meant. It because is a Bob Hendrix Dylan Hendrix did the cover. It's a Bob yes. Dylan song.
3: So, this is probably the most surreal experience I've I've had on this podcast ever. And I'll tell you why. So I have this amazing ability to avoid spoilers. I don't know. Oh no. (laughs) Somehow I managed to like, to not know how Harry Potter ended until the second part of the last movie came out. Then I realized how they just talk about wands. I still don't know how lost ends. I don't know how Battlestar Galactica ends because it kind of lost me. But I figured I would pick it up and watch it. Now, I have, Rob, for the last 30 minutes, while you've been talking about this episode, (laughs) I've had you on mute. So Uh, I still uh, don't know uh, how it uh, ends. uh, uh, I've just uh, been watching uh, you do this.
0: uh, That is hysterical. Well, that gives the game away. (laughs) I I, I have to say that the finale is perplexingly polarizing. I uh, totally share Rob's uh, 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 assessment. I think the finale is, is is superb and emotional and delivers the goods and sticks the landing. Unlike uh, some of the other endings that um, Ashley just alluded to, um, for example, Lost. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I love this three-hour finale. I, I think it works. I think, you know, the, the last season of Galactica is probably its most uneven. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm the least... Uh, um, enamored with the final season I I wasn't a big fan of the James Callis Baltar arc and some other things but uh, I do feel that it stuck the landing in a big way and it's a great choice
2: Uh, you know I I have to say that again a lot of people I guess they didn't the mystical element that they deal with is, is part of the show I mean from the very beginning whether you are a believer or not whether you're a religious person or not there is a super intelligence, call that intelligence God or whatever, that is part of the show from episode one. Angels, demons, whatever, I and I, mm. whatever it is. And it's there. And and I think they really incorporate that in this finale in a very interesting way. I think people want answers,
0: but they can't handle the truth. No, because it's like, right. I think a lot of people don't like it because it didn't tell you who Starbuck was and they right. resent that. And I think right. it's the same thing with Lost. Uh, you know, look, I don't like the Lost finale, but, you know, it gives you answers. Then you're not happy with the answers. And then you turn on the show you loved. It's the same thing with Game, Game of Thrones. Like, you know what? You didn't see the fact that um, Daenerys Targaryen, you know, Bloodline was screwed up and that at some point, you know, after all the horrible things she did that she wasn't all sweetness and light and was capable of, 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 you know, great destruction and, 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 uh, and they're like, Oh no, no. How did this happen? Well, well, you know, uh, game of Thrones, man, it's the worst. It's like, do you not remember the the previous six seasons that you absolutely loved and adored? And now you're going to dismiss it because you hate the finale. I mean, it's the same thing with lost, you know, I, I I certainly don't like the finale. It sounds like you're not a fan of the finale. Uh, the doesn't mean season. I dismiss everything I loved about it. Right. Anyway, that is Battlestar Galactica. Ashley, you're off the hook. You're unspoiled. Don't listen to this podcast uh, until uh, you're, you're unsullied, safely... In fact, you're unsullied, <laughs> <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, not I'm that across the stream. Like fully functional. Which which brings us to number fifty two. 52 and, uh, from maybe equally perplexed to find out this show is returning to our countdown Darren Dockerman tells us what it is from the sublime
1: uh, to the totally ridiculous another venture into lost in space the mechanical men
2: now how is this on this list so how, how, how so many episodes of lost in space? It just John is, Michelle. Rob. It just you know, is.
0: Uh, we, 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 you know, again, we, we, we this was a collaboration uh, between um, uh, all enormous. of us. And uh, I think there's a lot of things that I think we can all agree we're very happy with. And from time to time, there are things we disagree <laughs> with. But ultimately, um, I think we landed in a very good but, place. But this list is also
1: things that did bring us joy at one yes. point. So this episode absolutely did, because, of course, I was enamored with the robot uh, from Lost in Space, and I loved it, and I loved every episode that he was uh, a a, a core fixture of. And this one, he is more than in practically any of the episodes uh, he becomes a god for a little race of mechanical men that look exactly like the remco toys of the robot that were available in the sixties um, for some reason uh, and it's just so fun and it's ludicrous i I absolutely agree but the robot gets to wear a cape he gets to wear a crown it's you know it's wonderful and all these little remco toys which you know, today would cost uh, $1,500 a piece uh, are are featured in there. And, uh, you know, of course, by the time I saw them in uh, in repeats, they weren't anywhere to be found. So I couldn't have my, you know, Remco uh, <laughs> robot toy. So
0: I had to enjoy it on the show. So So there. <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us to the final episode of part two of our holiday countdown, making its return again to the show. Ashley Miller, tell us the final episode of part two, episode 51. Episode
3: 51 um, is one of the classic episodes of of Lost. And, And Contra, my very good friend, Rob Burnett, I think was also the episode that truly cemented Lost in the popular consciousness, as a show that you just had to watch, as great as the pilot was. Um, and I am talking about a little episode called Walkabout, which was the first lock centric episode. Right. Um, Locke was always the most interesting character on that show in the first season. He had a little bit of an edge to him. He seemed to be the guy who was the most prepared, right? But he didn't seem like a wacko. Like, he knew what was up, man. It's like, he was very smart, he seemed to get people. He was kind of the the Merlin character in a, in a yeah. lot of ways, you know, um, and just endlessly fascinating and smart. And, and one of the things that was very powerful about Lost, especially in its first season, was the way the format of the show used the idea of the castaways being trapped on this island as, as an excuse to go and tell stories about who they were before they landed here right and it was always really effective like to me like that was always the best use of the lost mystery box it was the mcguffin we didn't need to know what was inside because what it allowed us was the opportunity to see who these people really were they were what was inside of the fucking mystery box man and what is inside Locke's mystery box is e- easily i think um the best an incredibly powerful, incredibly moving. We discover like th- this powerful sort of survivalist, you know, guy, who's the one who's going to keep us all alive that in his previous life, he, you know, he was a paraplegic, you know, he was in a wheelchair. He was, you know, he was bullied. He was less than nothing. He was treated like garbage. And you just, by ask- his own father. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh my, everything about his life is a beat down. And and at the end of the episode, it's the simplest thing in the world. It, it ends, his flashback ends with the plane crash. And he's there on the beach without a wheelchair. And he stands up. And you understand everything about him. And you know anything and everything you should ever need to know about this show and this island. And it gives you chills. You know, it can make you cry. It's like, it's so powerful it's so compelling
2: can i ask Um, you a question yeah don't you think that the rest of lost ultimately did john Locke dirty
3: yeah i do honestly
2: like one of the most not let not audience but one of the greatest character betrayals of any writing staff destroying a character is what they did to John Locke. How they I think they got they,
3: caught up in like the unrelenting fabulousness of the backstory and kind of the obsession with the backstory. He was the obvious way into it. And and to kind of get into that mystery box, they had to twist him around the gears, man. And um, they,
2: they got but, rid of him and they yeah. replaced him with a, a faux lock that I, I thought that was the oh don't totally, get me. Totally. Started.
3: I mean, but look the it it, but it can't take away it's like we were talking just now about game of thrones or you know uh, uh, about like the end of whatever the hell happened in in lost and i still don't know um or the the end of of battlestar if you don't like that it doesn't take away the power of these stories
0: and walkabout is a great story it's so worth watching you could just i think what people don't realize is that without those flashbacks lost would have just been survivor meets gilligan's island yeah. You know, and those flashbacks are what gives Lost its heft and its emotional weight, mm. you know, and that ability to explore the backstories of those characters. That's also so deeply at odds with what we're seeing at the island. The fact that Kate is a wanted fugitive, the fact that John Locke is a paraplegic. I mean, it's 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 really fascinating. And again, Lost is another one of these, you know, like a lot of these other cultural touchstones was a huge pop culture phenomena that burned bright for a brief time and then burned out. So it's interesting to see it, you know, coming on strong on our list. I think that's great to see because it is a show that I think stands the test of time. Unlike a lot of these other cultural phenomenas that are, you know, that don't. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, that takes us to the end of our second episode, really interesting (laughs) choices. I know you're wondering, we'll be seeing more lost in space. Will Deep Space Nine ever show up on the list? What is going on with this crazy list? Well, you'll have to tune in to part three to find out when the Inglorious experts return for a holiday special part three. Until then, on behalf of Rob Burnett, Ashley Miller, myself, and Darren Docterman, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course, and we'll see you back here for part three as we continue with episode 50 on our list of 101 Greatest sci fi episodes of all time.
2: You know Dasher and Dancer
3: and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid
0: and Donder and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous
2: reindeer? Rudolph,
0: the red-nosed reindeer. Oh, he had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say,
2: It glows.
1: All
0: of the other reindeer, oh, they used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph, Rudolph. play in any reindeer game.
1: Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa
2: came to say,
3: Rudolph, with your
2: nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And Then all the reindeer loved him, loved him, as they shouted out with glee.
3: Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history.